2: Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another episode of Modern Manners Guy's quick and dirty tips for a more polite life. As Modern Manners Guy, it's my job to be keenly observant of people and situations around me. I often bring the people I meet, the wacky, the rude, the hilarious, into my writing as examples of what not to do. With all the oddballs that I meet who make me want to bang my head against the wall repeatedly, It's always a breath of fresh air when I come across someone who shares the same quirky outlook and etiquette as I, and many of you, do. That's why, today, I'm thrilled to welcome my fellow etiquette guru, Amy Alkin, otherwise known as the Advice Goddess, to the Modern Manners Guy show. Her new book, Good Manners for Nice People Who Sometimes Say the F Word, comes out June 3rd, and it's a hilarious take on manners conundrums we all face. In my exclusive interview with Amy, We'll discuss many topics from her new book, including the story behind the very bold title, Good Manners for Nice People Who Sometimes Say, the F-Word. Which etiquette snafus frustrate us the most? Where do people tend to lose their manners most often? At restaurants? At work? At family gatherings? At the DMV? Ugh, the DMV. Don't get me started. When you're dining out with someone, what's the ultimate etiquette deal-breaker? What is the biggest misconception people have about modern-day manners? and much, much more.
3: Welcome to the show, Amy. Hi, thanks for having me.
2: Now, for the sake of the podcast, I can't really say the full name of your title, but folks, trust me, it nails it to a T. So, Amy, real quick, tell us a little bit more about your work?
3: Well, I started out just coming here from Michigan to California and finding that people were kind of mean by about the year 2000 And you'd go places, and they were just really kind of horrible to each other. And it made me very interested in why this was. I didn't think it was California, because we're all from someplace else here. And I started reading anthropology research on this, and I figured out why we're rude. And basically, it's that we live in societies too big for our brains. And I found this out. I looked at the work of a British anthropologist, Robin Dunbar. And he figured out that the human neocortex seems to have a capacity to manage social interactions in societies of about 150 people. And beyond that, social order seems to break down. And, and basically, that's what's happened now. We're around strangers all the time. And when you're around strangers, they can do anything to you. And we didn't evolve to be in, in societies like this. We evolved to be in these small bands where everybody knew everybody.
2: That's so interesting. I mean, there's a a definite research and science behind how people treat others and manners and etiquette. And in your book, you definitely cover all these aspects. And I want to be able to jump right into it. I want to tell people more about the book. First, I want to start off with the title. I absolutely love the title. And now as a manners guru myself and author, and as somebody who's not afraid to drop the F-bomb, I don't mind the fact you add that in your title. But I think it's so cool. And it's such a bold decision. Do you find that title be an analogy for something greater?
3: I'm not quite sure what you mean by that, but I, I feel like it's a signal. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say that. I'm not sure. What do you mean by analogy for something greater?
2: Um, basically by that, I mean, you know, it sounds like that, you know, what you know, good manners for, for people who sometimes say the F word. It's almost saying like, is this a kind of thing that people put towards other things in life? Like they drop the F word when they're hurt. They drop the F word when they're happy even. They drop the F word when they're surprised. It seems to be some kind of term that basically people, regardless of how proper you are, it slips out.
3: Well, this is really a signal from me that this is a manners book for regular people. It's for those of us who don't spend our days practicing our curtsies for the queen. <laughs> you know, the thing is that real people swear. Now, I don't advocate doing it in front of somebody's 9,000-year-old aunt or their four-year-old, but the notion that swearing is always impolite is just non-think. If you're around your friends and they like to drop those words and you like to drop those words, it makes life a little spicier. I like words. I like that word and I use it.
2: Absolutely. Great point. Great point. And in, in your introduction of the book, you talk about how it's not as important to know the proper place settings as it is to focus on being nice and polite to people around the table, which people tend to forget. Um, do you think that we often get so focused on what is, quote, proper while dining that we actually end up being rude by not engaging others around us?
3: Actually, I I think the biggest problem is that we are more focused on our electronic binkies than anything else, you know. And and also, I really, the reason I didn't write an etiquette book, quote unquote, I really, I try to avoid calling my book that, actually. Um, To me, etiquette is that stuff where the posh, pretentious English people, they basically use it to keep other people out of the fold, to divide the, you know, it's the servants from the posh people on Downton Abbey. They use it to sneer at people who don't know where the shrimp fork goes or what a finger bowl is. And quite frankly, I'm not really sure. It it has to do with washing your fingers between courses. And, you know, well, they don't really serve ribs at state dinners. And, you know, they have indoor plumbing at McDonald's. So why do we even care? You know, what I care about is when you pass the whatever, the mashed potatoes to somebody else, are you kind to them? Are you including people in your conversation? That the person who's sitting down at the end of the table looks like they're going to die if nobody speaks to them.
2: Exactly, exactly. And I find that I've been in so many situations where there is somebody that is either they're being real reserved, whether they are trying to be too, quote, proper, or they're just very shy. And they also they come off as disconnected with everybody. And that in itself can be very pompous, I think.
3: Well, the the truth is some people don't want people to speak to them and that's okay. This idea, there's this idea that, oh my God, someone's on their phone. They should be having conversations with people. Well, maybe they're introverted, maybe they have something important going on in their life. And I find that very arrogant where people assume, well, they should be socializing right now. And I'm a very friendly person. I'm an extrovert's extrovert pretty much. <laughs> and I'll talk to everyone. I'll talk to the crazy homeless guy. I'll talk to the bus boy. I'll talk to the queen. I mean, if I meet her, I probably won't. They probably won't let the girl who writes the book with the F word in the title meet the queen. That's okay. But, um, you know, you really need to be sensitive to whether somebody wants to converse. That's something that I find This sort of idea, people have this idea about cell phones, like they're this great evil. And it's just, the the big point is that if you're supposed to be on a date with somebody and you're looking at your cell phone, that's kind of like bringing a legal pad and doing your business work and saying, hey, you know, just a minute, I have a letter to send out that has to be out by tomorrow morning. It's just plain rude.
2: True, true. Good point. There's a time and place for all forms of technology.
1: And, you
2: know, I love this next quote. In chapter nine, eating, drinking, socializing, you list the essentials of table etiquette, since we're on that topic. You say, on the off chance, you were raised in the wilderness by a family of coyotes, which I love because sometimes you're really next to somebody and they look like a caveman almost, and their parents were coyotes. But I'm still constantly shocked that people lack the certain basic etiquette skills. And again, I mean, let's, let's understand etiquette and manners, you know, they're not the Downton Abbey kind of style either. I mean, when you dine with someone, In your opinion, what is a deal breaker and what is one thing or two or three for that matter that truly, truly drives you nuts that people do?
3: Chewing with one's mouth open or talking with food in it, those things, they just kill me. It's just so ugly. And I have to say, I put those, they're like I think they're like eight or ten of those tips on, you know, table manners, because I thought people would say, well, there are no tips on table manners in there, but they're they're really I got into the coyotes a little bit. Um coyotes lick their paws while eating for good reason because animals that die on the side of the road rarely do so next to place settings complete with a <laughs> napkin. You know, people licking their fingers, it's just disgusting. You see people like, Lick their whole hand, you know, put their hand in their mouth. I mean, those things. People really need to um, think about what other people, what their view is, and and really this comes down and and manners do in general to empathy. The guy who is blowing his nose in Applebee's, he lacks empathy. He's not thinking, boy, do other people want to hear that sort of honking, horrible, gross sound? And it's same with people who are um, who don't tip properly. And, you know, all of these behaviors, people playing their stereo late at night when they live close to other people really loudly, two in the morning, you know, yes, we really want to be thumped awake by the beat. Um, <laughs> and, and it's just so simple. It's like kindergarten 101, do unto others. We all learn this. We just need to exercise it more.
2: Great, great. And it's funny that you mentioned, you know, the, the sloppy guy at Applebee's, for example, and that tends to be, uh, not the harp on Applebee's, by the way, I happen to love it, but you know, just to say, restaurants to me have to be one of the places that I find to be uh, happens to produce the most unmannerly displays of behavior. But I want to know, in your opinion, what, what do you think is the worst place? Is it the workplace? Is it family gatherings? The DMV? Uh, why do, what do you think about that?
3: actually, as I mentioned before, um, I think that it's a lot of places, sorry to not answer that that specifically, but um, the most unmannerly displays are places we're surrounded by strangers. I sort of touched on this before. When you're around strangers, you can do anything to them because you'll likely never see them again. If that's your neighbor driving behind you, you know, you're not going to flip them the bird because there's going to be a Mount Whitney-sized pile of dog poop on your sidewalk <laughs> in the morning. And, uh, you know, so... We actually need to both behave like we are not around strangers and to treat strangers like neighbors. That's the ultimate message of my book. But when people are rude, we didn't evolve with strangers, so we basically don't really know what to do. We don't have the psychology for it, but we need to start taking action. And I find the best way to do that is to understand that rudeness is a form of theft. People who are rude, they're stealing from us. They're stealing our time. Our attention in the case of these people who are on their cell phones, they're privatizing public space as their own, they're forcing you to listen to their inane lives. Um, they're taking your good night's sleep in the case of the person who plays their music really loud when they're in an apartment building and people are trying to sleep at two in the morning. And so if we see this as theft, we can override the fact that we really don't have any evolved psychology for what do we do when a stranger does something awful to us because we didn't evolve that way. And then we can do things about it, speak up. And, And what's very interesting too is that because we evolved to care very much about our reputation, we have this very old psychology, despite living in modern times. So we still care about our reputation. And there's this sort of module that works on us where if if a person says to somebody on their cell phone, Hey, would you mind keeping it down a little bit? Somebody who's yammering in the pharmacy line, where everybody—you can either die and not have your medication, or you can wait and listen to that person's <laughs> dull conversation. Um, if one person says something, um, that person's likely to say the bad word in my title, uh, something to something off. Um, <laughs> and but if another person says, "Hey, man, I'm bothered too. It's the most amazing thing. I've tried this on numerous occasions." It actually usually gets the person to pipe down. And so I, I encourage people to have a sort of manners gang to enlist some other person and say, if I say something, will you say, yeah, I'm bothered too. And it, it often works. And, and believe me, so many people in that line who would die before they'd speak up are so grateful to you, to anybody who actually does that that and speaks up.
2: I love the part you say about how basically strangers and they are you, but people that in that situation, they are stealing something from you. It is, whether it's your time and whether or whether it's just your mood even. If somebody does something really rude to you in line or, um, or if somebody is just being rude to you at work or something, it is. It's a form of theft. I think it's a great analogy and a great point to add in there.
3: Thanks. They're they're basically treating your head like a big trash can for their life. They're jamming in all their personal information. Hey, got to pick up the dry cleaning. Oh, did Billy? You go to Billy's parent teacher conference. This is not information that I need to know. I also I know who Bobby. Wait, what's his name? Gordy Howe. No, I know who. I mean, I have enough in my brain. I, he's a hockey player. I yeah. don't need to know this. I'm from Detroit. Somehow <laughs> this is in my brain, and I would like to first expunge all those dull conversations in public places I've been forced to listen to, and then. I'll I'll send Gordie Howe out with them. (laughs) That's great. Of course, hockey fan, why not?
2: (laughs) What what do you find to be the biggest misconception people have regarding manners and etiquette?
3: Oh, I am so glad you asked me this. People think that keeping quiet about things you find awful is good manners. This is the antithesis. I'm I'm clapping. Thank you. you. Thank you.
2: I, I, I cannot agree with you enough
3: and I'm a big civil libertarian. I had a TSA worker try to sue me for $500,000 for Whoa. exercising my free speech rights. Yeah, it's it's on the internet. It's findable. Um, somebody took my case and made that go away. Um, but I am a person who believes in speaking up and I can speak up. Somehow I got the bold gene. Not everybody has that. It's called in economics being a costly punisher, which is basically a nice way of saying you're an idiot because it means that you <laughs> Speak up, you have a strong sense of justice, and um, you speak up against injustice at cost or yourself, and when there's probably no benefit. So someone is not going to give me a winning lottery ticket when I tell them, um, hey, you know, we're kind of, you know, the cell phone's a little loud. Um, they, they might stab me with the turkey baster, as somebody did in a movie theater in Orange County. That person's in jail now, <laughs> but, and the person they did that to lived.
2: You know, I, I think it's so true. I think that when people feel that you have to, whenever I talk about matters and etiquette, and I tell people what I do, they, they, they think that being mannerly or, have, or having any form of uh, a sense of etiquette re- is like you're being a pushover, you know, mainly because you're more sensitive or you're empathetic to other people, that they assume you're a pushover. That is not the case at all. And I think that folks that nowadays are realizing that there's, because you stick up for yourself, because you say something, like you said, your example is perfect. That's defending yourself, defending your belief, and you're doing it in an educated manner, but that's what you're supposed to be doing. You know, have somebody bully you around is just, you shouldn't tolerate that.
3: An important thing I write about in the book too is that um, you may not always win in in situations where somebody is victimizing you, but the way you are not a victim is by acting like you're not a victim by taking action. And I'm big on that. Somebody dumped trash in my neighborhood. They dropped my cute, cute neighborhood on my cute street. They just thought, okay, well, we don't know who you are. You're nobody. This is a trash dump. And so I saw on the outside there was an address label and a person's name, and I got out my rubber gloves. And went through I found out I think who did it of course it could be there are trash robbers in this really tony neighborhood where the the box went you know and they they import export trash to my neighborhood but I highly doubt that and so I found them on Facebook it's a foreign surgeon and his wife he's like the second um the he's a plastic surgeon he's a second from the top I think in his country I'm not supposed to say where and um And I said, come get your trash. They didn't do that. And so I ended up boxing up a sampling of it and sending to the $2.5 million house in the Pacific Palisades, very ritzy neighborhood overlooking the ocean saying, how were you raised that you think this is okay? Wow. And so, yeah. And these people, they didn't come get their trash. My neighbor put it back in the alley, but we all know this every place in the world, Paris, Brazil, Italy, you know, there's some place where trash is stored behind houses, behind buildings on the side of buildings. And it's not hard to find. But when you think that people are non-people because you don't know them, it's easier to abuse them. And I refuse to be abused. And I refuse to accept the notion, this idea that, oh, well, it just be, tactful, quote unquote, which means be a victim, don't speak up. And it, it, there, there's too much of that going on. I want people to realize that they can say something, at least to support people, other people who are saying something.
2: Mm-hmm. Great, great points. And Sue, so do you find that there's room for manners in the 21st century world of you know, crude reality TV, people leaving trash in other people's streets and all the nasty tweets that go out right and left?
3: Well, if you mean on the internet, um, specifically, um, absolutely, uh, there's room for manners. We need, we need more of that. And it requires what I call the behave as you are in real life rule. Now, not everybody can do this, but I'm a public figure and anything I put in a blog, on a a blog comment or I tweet, I do in my own real name. And so if you don't do that, say that you're an elementary school teacher and you can't let them know you're into bondage or whatever, (laughs) um, you know, that you need to only say things that you would if that person were standing next to you at the grocery store. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't say the horrible things that people say and, and to celebrities too, they have feelings, you know, that, that, that people say online. I think it's just terrible that people do that. And if you have that rule, behave as you are in real life. And certainly guys, you know, see, you see stuff. I saw there's an F psych evolutionary psychology forum. I'm part of, and you see these two guys hurling insults. And I thought neither one of them would do that in real life. Somebody'd sock somebody, you know, either that or they're both too meek in real life to do that. And that's not an excuse to do it online.
2: Yeah. You know, I remember there was a story about this English boxer who had a guy that was tweeting nasty things about him. It was tweeting about his family and all these rude things and the boxer tracked him down. And went to his house, and said, "You know, I'm the guy you've been talking about online." And the guy quickly cowered. You know, acted like it was, "Oh, I'm so sorry," and apologized, and all these things. And you know, because he he faced it. You know, the guy, the the guy you would think would be the bully was now the one being bullied. And they, you know, the boxer went back and turned it around. And I think it's a great analogy for how you have to really act in real life. If you can't say it online, if you can't say to the person in real life, into their face, don't say it online.
1: Yeah.
3: Right. This is shades of me, that guy. Um, I have done this. I tracked down my car thief, um, my hit and run driver. And I had this slew of people leaving these horrible comments on my blog. And I actually, my blog's a free speech site. You can say all sorts of horrible things. But if you come over with a mob intent on destroying my comments, then I'm going to kind of stop you. And also, these were all things they were, you know, the way people attack women online is by saying that you're ugly, you look like a man. And sure enough, there are about 150 comments in a row you Look like a man are you a tranny and, and all of them were anonymous, and so um, I just kept looking I looked at them and two in the morning one night I see one of them and I look up the the guys he left some fake email address or something, but I was able to track this down it took me about twenty minutes and I discovered that he was a guy who was supposed to be minding that satellites don't fall out of the sky for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. <laughs> I thought you know government agency. I bet they have a staff directory. Sure enough, they did. About three in the morning, I called him. Hi, it's Amy Alcon. Do you think I look like a man? (laughs) (laughs) He was so cowed. You know, people never expect that, that you're going to track them down. And, and only because of the flight costs. My boyfriend wanted to send me to New Orleans. There was somebody else. I figured out who it was, some chef in some restaurant there, to just show up and say, hi, it's Amy Alcon." You know, and to, I can't remember what he said to me, yeah. but, you know, to address the rude comment they made. And people should expect that. They should act as if Amy Alcon will show up on your door, the giant redheaded gnat to bother you about what you posted on her website. Well, look, I love that approach. And I, I love your investigative skills. I mean, you're tracking these people down and putting them on point. I mean, that's the way it
2: should be.
3: I like to torment them. When my car was stolen, um, I I wrote in the book, um, in the internet chapter, about how I met Marlon Brando on the internet in 1993, and we became friends. And he was a great prankster. We used to do pranks together. And so he called my car thief at three in the morning as the godfather. And then my mother, who's nobody you want to tangle with if you haven't done what you said you would, Mm -hmm. she, when he didn't pay me my restitution, called him and yelled at him. So (laughs) I really enjoyed that. That's amazing. Very,
2: very good. And, you know it 's great talking to you and listening to all your your stories are, are wonderful, and of course the book is too and i 'm just curious at the end of the day, what do you find to be the most unmannerly thing people do that they may not be aware of
3: Well, I think it 's forcing people in public places to listen to their cell phone calls and it 's also um, and, and not everybody understands this. they think that talking quietly is being polite, talking quietly on a cell phone. And and research actually shows that a one-sided conversation, even a quiet one, is very interruptive to the brain in the way a two-sided one is not. And this is due to something called theory of mind, which is basically our theory of what's in other people's minds. And it's how we know, for example, that if a guy is kneeling on, he's getting down on one knee across the street in front of a girl, that he's probably not going to ask her if he can borrow her pen he's it's this we understand what things mean when other people behave in certain ways and this is automatic we can't shut this off and so talking on your cell phone in public um, when you're doing that it's one-sided our brain automatically tries to fill in the other side so this is very annoying and you know and, and just you know i don 't want to leave this on this you know the unmannerly awful thing, so no. I just wanted to say that the broader point of my book actually beyond punish the rude and don 't act like a jerk yourself <laughs> and, and, and by the way i 'm a jerk i, I didn 't write this because I have perfect manners, I have bad manners, I just try to do better, but um, it 's that you know realizing that we are around recognizing that we're around strangers we need to sorry i 'll take that again we need to recognize that we live in these worlds filled with strangers we 're around strangers all day. And that we need to start treating strangers like neighbors. The world is not so cold. And some small kindness that would be really unremarkable when you do it for a friend, it can be so powerful for a stranger. And it transforms them into a person who pays it forward. And just to give one example from the book, a friend of mine was in Boulder, Colorado. She's from there with her girlfriend. She sees some woman, very not from Boulder on a bench, about 70, New York accent, asks where she can get a Diet Pepsi and my my friend gives her these very meticulous directions they walk away and her girlfriend says i'm going to go buy her one she said my friend said oh you don't have to i gave her great directions she said no i want to she gets her diet pepsi i think it was diet pepsi yeah brings it back and the woman's like oh my god and my friend thought she was mad and but she said basically it was the nicest thing anyone had ever done for her and think about that if you do that for your friend or your girlfriend or boyfriend, eh, whatever is nice, but it's not like the big deal or anything. But for a stranger, this has such a powerful effect and it actually makes us happier to do this. It, it fills our lives with meaning, which is the real way to get happy, not by chasing happiness by getting bigger boobs or a new car. Mm-hmm. So, And that's the ultimate message of my book, that we can change the world one co-human that we do a little something nice for at a time.
2: That's great. I think that's great. I love it. I love, the out, I love the outlook. Uh, you know, I love all the analogies. I love your stories. And I want to thank you very, very much for joining me on my show. And I wish you all the best luck in the world. Everybody, want to thank Amy Alkin, the advice goddess, for joining me. And please check out her new book, Good Manners for Nice People Who Sometimes Say the F Word. Amy, I want to thank you again for joining me. So please tell my readers and listeners, where can we find your new
3: book? You can find my new book, Good Manners for Nice People Who Sometimes Say the F Word, at independent bookstores across the country, at big bookstores online, and please do buy it. I worked hard on it. I think you'll like it. And you can find the rest of me. I'm, I'm Amy Alcon on Twitter, um, advicegoddess.com, and you can read my nationally syndicated advice column, science-based, funny. Um, it's called The Advice Goddess in Papers Across the Country. Just look it up online.
2: Check out Amy's awesome book at Amazon. Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Indie Bound, and Anywhere Books Are Sold. As always, if you have another Manners question, i love hearing from you. So please, drop me a line at Manners at QuickAndDirtyTips.com. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at MannersQDT. And of course, check back next week for more Modern Manners Guide Tips for a more polite life.